For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs. Faith is null, and the promise is, and the promise is void. Actually, I misread that. Um, verse 14. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null, and the promise is void. I missed the if. That's kind of an important word there. Um, verse 15. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all of us. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom I believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations, as he has been told, so shall your offspring be. Verse 19, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why this faith that's why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. All right. Fun little passage tonight. Um, so last week we examined Paul's second Old Testament example for this overall argument he was making. And that Old Testament example was David and how in the Psalms, uh, David argues for justification by faith rather than by works. We also at the end of that passage came back to Abraham and showed how Abraham was made righteous by faith before circumcision, and circumcision was used as a seal to point to Abraham's heart, or his circumcised heart. Abraham is the father of both the circumcised and the uncircumcised. Abraham set the example of walking in faith before circumcision. <clears throat> the rest of Romans 4 will continue to develop uh, this argument Paul is making, and continuing to use Abraham as an example but now we move on from circumcision in particular, and again, we take a look at the law as a whole. Um, keep in mind, the main two things a Jew would appeal to uh, to be judged differently would be circumcision and having the law in physicality. Paul's um, continued argument is that those things don't save you. In fact, they didn't even save your Old Testament fathers. Uh, they were also justified by faith and grace. Not by the law, but uh, yeah. With all that being said, let's get into these verses. But, uh, you know, I'm going to need to take another sip of water real quick.
That one was more of a gulp, but um, still got to stay hydrated. All right, starting from verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Okay, so Abraham's offspring did not come through the law. They came through faith. The reason that God gave promises to Abraham and fulfilled these promises was not by Abraham's obedience to the law. Rather, it is by uh, Abraham's belief that uh, the Lord will uh, fulfill his promises, or his just belief in the promises of the Lord. Um, yeah, so Abraham had faith in the promises of the Lord. Uh, Paul even goes further to say, if you... If your trust is not in the Lord, but rather in the law to justify you, then you don't have faith and you won't receive the promises of the Lord. As seen in the the little next portion where it said, For if it is the adherents of the law who are able who are to be the heirs, faith is null and promise is void, or the promise is void. So a lack of faith in the Lord can show the promise being taken away, the promise being voided out. And if you're wondering if this ever happened in the Bible, I'll give you an example. Deuteronomy 1, when the Israelites refused to conquer the promised land because the people inside were much taller and they looked very fearsome, um, they decided not to do it. They did not trust in the promises of the Lord. They did not trust that the Lord would carry them into battle and to uh, help them overtake this promised land. They just, they did not trust the Lord, and they said that the Lord is actually wrong, and that they would be conquered, and that does the Lord hate us, because he takes us out of Egypt just to die in this land. And uh, guess what happens? The Lord then says, your promises are taken away. They were not allowed to enter into the promised land anymore, because they did not have faith in the Lord. They did not trust the Lord. And then God commanded that the next generation will be the ones to enter and that no one in this evil generation will enter because of their lack of faith. And yeah, their lack of faith caused the promises or the entering into the promised land to be void. So we see throughout other examples that um, a lack of faith and rather an adherence to um, uh, an adherence to essentially saying that your situation is a situation that the Lord cannot overcome is uh, that that'll void out your promises with the Lord. Uh, we cannot um, yeah, lack of faith, promise avoided. It's happened before and um, Abraham did not ex have this lack of faith to avoid these promises. rather his abundance of faith is what the promises are done through and what makes him the heir of all of these people. Um, but yeah, for, for the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. So um, we cannot be justified by the law because the law brings wrath. The law is what accuses us of our sin. If the law were not to exist, then there wouldn't be a law to accuse us. 
This, this last part of verse 15 is just showing us how the law is what brings transgressions against us, um, or essentially shows us our transgressions. Now, you shouldn't use this verse to say that, to justify the sins of others, saying that they might not know. If you have gone through with us from uh, Romans 2 to 3, we see that all are under the law, whether that be having the law in physicality or having the works of the law written on our hearts, we are still all under the law. Um, it is important to remember that the law is not what is not what is justifying us, but rather it is what is accusing us and showing us just how dead in our sin we actually are. So, um, yeah, the law is what accuses us, not what justifies us. It is a standard in which we are held to, in which the whole world is held to, because all the world is underneath the law. So don't try to use that verse to to say that, oh, well, what about this and what about that? Paul has made it explicitly clear that there is no excuse. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. He's just uh, making a particular statement the fact that the source of these transgressions or what we are upheld to to show our sinfulness is the law. Verse 16. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So the reason why the promise is by faith is in order to rest on grace. If the promise was dependent on our works and our upholding to the law, then this promise would have been lost. It would have been lost a long, long time ago because we all continue to fall short of the glory of God. Instead, the promises rest not on us, but on the grace of God. Not by our own merits, but by his mercy. Um... Let's think about this in particular to salvation. If our salvation was to rest upon our own merits, then our salvation wouldn't be upheld for long. It wouldn't even last seconds. Um, rather, our salvation rests on the grace of God, not on our own merits. In the, the same way, this sal our salvation is through the fulfillment of these promises. Why would the, the making of these promises to Abraham be any different with how they operate. Um, so with Abraham, uh, the promises of God resting on his grace allows for his promises to be upheld. Uh, this allows for Abraham to be the father of us all through faith, as well as, yeah, through faith, not just the father of the circumcised or those who have the law and physicality, but for those who share the same faith in the Lord that Abraham had, is for both groups. This is, uh, and remember, this, um, this argument in Romans 4 is a continuation of the question asked uh, towards the end of, um, of uh, Romans 3, of is God the God of the circumcised and the, un and the uncircumcised? The answer is yes, and Abraham is the father of both of those groups of people. Um, uh, I have a little quote from Spurgeon that kind of describes the relationship between grace, faith, and merit, or that's how Spurgeon puts it as merit. I would more likely say works, but yeah. 
Spurgeon puts it like this. Grace and faith are congruous and will draw together in the same chariot. But grace and merit are contrary to one, the one to the other, and pull opposite ways. Therefore, God has not chosen to yoke them together. So, grace and merit are at the opposite ends of the spectrum. And it is by grace that these promises are resting, not by our own merits, not by our own... Uh, not by our own means to preserve the promises, but rather by uh, by God's means, by his grace. Um, yeah. Verse 17. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. I hope he believed against, in hope, he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations, as he has been told, so shall your offspring be. All right, so Paul is again appealing to scripture by quoting Genesis 17.5 in sort of this uh, confirmation point of his exposition and his exegesis of the passages that he has already used in Genesis and in Psalms as well. So this is just almost wrapping up his uh, his argument with a bow, with this continued quoting of scripture and quoting of adding on to his point to make sure there's no uh, there's no gaps left. But uh, yeah, um, God is the one who made Abraham the father of many nations. God gives life to the dead. Um, this new life is seen. Uh, when he makes life out of an apparently dead womb, out of Sarah's womb. It's also seen when he gives life back to Isaac when he was under the death sentence in Genesis 22. And it is also ultimately seen in the life restoring, uh, in the life restored in the resurrection of Christ. Um, God makes life out of death. It, it is kind of unclear However, what uh, what exactly is being referenced when uh, when it's said uh, calls into existence things that do not exist? Um, this could be referring to God in creation, where he is quite literally making something out of nothing. He is making something that does not exist, and he is bringing it into existence. Um, or it could also be referring to God making life out of a dead womb, or God making... Um, descendants for abraham he is um he is bringing things that uh didn't exist before things that would never have existed if he did not intervene like with uh abraham's son and uh he is bringing that into existence he is the god of creation he is um yeah, he, he creates things out of nothing, and I, those are a few, a few examples. You can pick which one you really want, but I, the details are ultimately less important than what our response should be to, uh, uh, to Paul stating the Lord giving life to the dead and calling things uh, that never existed into existence. This should call for praise and glory to be given to him. We were also once dead, and... Uh, he brought us to life by the works of Christ on the cross. God breathes into us new life, whereas once we were dead in our sins, 
and there is nothing we could do about it. He takes our dead, wretched bodies that are just filled with sin and breathes new life into them and gives us life in him. Um, so you might be kind of confused at the beginning of verse 18, where it says, in hope, he believed against hope. Um, but let me, uh, let me try to put it in a different way, uh, or in more cleared wording. Um, Abraham, in his hope of the Lord, he believed against the hope in his current situation. So true hope is directed towards God and not towards our circumstances. Uh, the hope of Abraham was towards the divine words that God gave him, not towards his human situation. Um, he had hope in the words of the Lord saying, so shall your offspring be. He had, it was, uh, it's a juxtaposition between the, the hope that you find in the Lord and the hope that you find in man. If that, uh, if that makes more sense. I honestly had a, uh, I struggled to read that at first because I thought I reread it like 10 times. I was like, there's no way I could be reading this right. But yeah, it's, uh, I think that's the best way to put it after looking at like other translations and stuff like that. But he had hope in the Lord against the hope that he would have had if he hoped in man, which he had no hope in man because of the very next verse, which we're going to, we're going to get into it. Um, verse 19, uh, he did not weaken in faith when he was considered his when he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old or when he considered the barrenness of sarah's womb uh no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of god but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to god fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So Abraham was an old and near was old and near death. Sarah's womb was barren. There is nothing that they could do by their own means to have a children. Their works or any potential works they could do to make a child, they would be futile. This is what Abraham's earthly situation is. This this situation would be a situation where Abraham no, has no hope. If he were to hope in what man offers and what he could do, his, he would have no hope. He has nothing to hope in because there's nothing there. It is only by God and by hoping in God that um, that the nations were able to make this faith in God that these nations were being able to make, and he was able to birth a child. And this faith is what marked him as a spiritual father as well. But um, this this situation that Abraham was in did not cause unbelief to come to him. He he did not disbelieve the Lord. He did not say he did not say that uh the Lord was lying even when the odds seem to be stacked against him. Uh he still trusted in the promises of the Lord and he even grew stronger in faith. And he also gave the glory to God in his promises. Um, no situation of man should make us disbelieve the promises of the Lord, although that is far too often our tendency. Um, but that is far too often our tendency. But uh, I have a quote from Calvin about this, um, and he puts it like this. When there is no contest, it is true. No one 
as I've said, denies that uh, that God can do all things. But as soon as some as anything comes in the way to impede the course of God's promise, we cast down God's power from its eminence. So, to put that into more modern terms, because Calvin is writing in an old time, um, everyone seems to have faith in the Lord when things are going well. But as soon as anything bad happens, we start to not have faith in the Lord and say that the Lord does not have the power to overcome our current situation. Uh, we, we start to waver because our situation seems bad. We start to only rejoice in faith when things are going good. But we also need to remember to rejoice and praise the name of the Lord, even when things seem like they're going very, very bad for us. There is uh, Our current situation should not affect how the Lord is sovereign over us and how the Lord is sovereign over the world. And we should always trust in his promises. We should always trust in what the Lord has told us, even if things seem like they're going bad. That is never the proper response, and that is the example that Abraham gave, even though even though his situation was very sucky. This dude is 100 years old, and he's being promised that he's going to make nations come from him, and that he's going to have children, and his wife just hasn't been able to birth a child. And despite all that, he still trusted in the promises of the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And that's where we start to go into... Uh, our next verses, uh, verse 22. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness, but uh, the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but all but ours also. Uh, it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So, Abraham had faith in the Lord despite his situation, and this was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham did not give himself any of the glory, but rather he he gave glory to the Lord. He praised the Lord in his promises. Now, uh, Paul is now taking the example of Abraham, and he is applying it to our current situation. Um, this was not... this How this was written was not an accident, Um it was uh, it was intentional, as Paul is arguing here. Um, so, oh no, I just lost my train of thought. It, this was intentional, and this was not written just for his sake. This was written for our sake as we go back and we read the Old Testament and we see the example of Abraham, and the righteousness is going to be counted to us for belief in the Lord and the fulfillment of his promises, uh, that uh, we have faith in Christ, and that will be counted to us as righteousness. Christ was killed and took on our trespassing and our sins on the cross while receiving the wrath of the Father. Christ was raised, showing the glory of God and the completion of his perfect plan. His perfect plan is what gives us our justification. We believe in the saving works of Christ, who was our propitiation on the cross. Um, Abraham had faith in the promises of the Lord, and now we have faith in the fulfillment of those promises. Uh, we are both saved through the grace of God by faith and justified uh, by Christ's work on the cross. 
The Old Testament doesn't contradict the New Testament in salvation, but rather continues to build a validity of the salvation uh, as described in the New Testament, showing the consistency of the Lord throughout all time and the fulfillment of his perfect plan. This plan was not a mistake. It was planned out from, as some would say when looking at Ephesians from before, the foundations of the earth. Redemptive history is not tossed together. Rather, Old Testament saints were saved in the very same way. They were saved by faith through grace, and although they didn't know the exact means of how they were saved, they uh, they had faith in the promises of the Lord to justify his people. And now we have faith in that fulfillment, and now we have faith uh, in Christ, who is the fulfillment of the promises. The promise in Genesis, um, Genesis 3... Uh, 14 through 16, that uh, the seed of the woman would stomp on uh, the serpent's head and bruise his heel. That's just the story of the cross, the, that Christ comes down and stomps on Satan's head, killing him with the cross while only bruising his heel because he is resurrected and he is brought back to life after receiving the full punishment of sin for us. And then we can now delight in him and glorify him in heaven for all of eternity. And it is by the work of God and his grace. And Abraham is justified by that very same work of Christ, even though he didn't have the amount of revelation that we have today. He might not have known Christ's name, but he knew the Lord and he knew to have faith in the promises of the Lord. And that's what he was justified by. And that's the whole thing that Paul is arguing for that, yes, the God is the God of both the circumcised and the uncircumcised, and there is no difference in uh, the salvation of how they are saved or by his means of salvation. God planned to be the God of the circumcised and the uncircumcised. It wasn't some sloppily tossed together thing. No, this has been this has been clear from the Old Testament. Let's go back to Abraham. Let's go back to David. Let's go back to these people and let me show you these things of how Abraham was justified by faith. David talks about salvation by uh, faith rather than by works. And uh, now we've come to here of where Paul is almost closing up that argument and saying we're justified by grace, through faith, by the works of Christ on the cross as our propitiation for our sins. And uh, that has not changed and will never change. And that calls for glory to be to God. Yeah, uh, that's that's about all I got for, for these verses. It was a bit shorter for the amount of uh, verses we had. But, uh, you know, this is just almost just finishing off this already big argument that Paul has been making. Is there is there any questions or anything like that? Have faith noted. Yeah. Um, is there questions or anything like that before uh, before we wrap up in prayer? Or comments or anything? No? Come on, I gotta make this a bit longer somehow. Sango, you usually got good questions. You got any questions, Sango? Sango just hits me with a smiley face. That's fine. That Dang. is fine. Yeah, tragic. The smiley face is tragic. You said something about us failing. Oh wait, you you said you had a question, Graceful. Oh no, 
Is there a question in chat? I think there is. You said something okay. about I was us. Gonna, I thought of a way to encourage people to ask questions. So when I asked a question, I was mute. Okay. Um, the us failing part. Us failing to meet up to the standard of God or us failing under the law. That would be, yeah, around uh, verse, uh, verses 13 through 15. I think that's where I talked about that. Let me reread that. For the promise uh, to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through righteousness of faith. For it is the adherence of the law, for if it is the adherence of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath and there is no law, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. So we cannot be justified by the law. Because the, the law brings wrath. The law is what accuses us of our sin and shows us how we have failed or fallen short of the glory of God. If the law were to not exist, there would be no law to accuse us. But the law does exist and it has shown us that we have fallen short of the standard that God has placed upon over the whole world. As Paul makes explicitly clear in Romans 2-3, through he's gone through great lengths to establish that. But if we want to continue to have a uh if we want the promises to continue then they cannot rest on our own works they cannot rest on our own ability because we are constantly falling short of the glory of god rather they rest on the grace of god and by his mercy not on our own ability because i think we all know better than anyone that we have all fallen short and that we are dead to our sins, and that we have been accused by the law, and we have been condemned by the law, and that if we want to have a promise, have any sort of, of uh, value to it, it cannot be based in our own works, because our own works are constantly flawed, and our own works are constantly falling short. And the promise that we would upheld would not be a perfect promise, it would be an imperfect promise, but a promise that rests on God's grace and his mercy is one that is a perfect promise because the Lord is unchanging and the Lord is perfect and the Lord is holy. So rather than um, the us being us uh, continuing the promise by our own works is by the grace of God and his mercy because we will always fall short, but God will not. Does that uh, does that satisfy? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, so you had a question, Graceful? Yeah, I thought of one. Um, so could this be used uh, to dismiss people who are like churches that are legalistic? Um, yeah, it, it, it really depends on how you define legalism. So if you're defining legalism as you have to do something in order to be saved as in that thing is a part of salvation, then I think that Paul has been dismissing that in the entire argument of salvation by grace through faith. Now, some might wrongly identify a church as legalistic even when they're not. So saying something like, if a church says you shouldn't have premarital sex, that's a, that's a sin, and that we should be fleeing sexual sin, as it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, or as it says in Romans, or as it says in Galatians, or whatever verses you want to cite, there is plenty to make that argument and to cite that. And if someone was to turn around and call them legalistic, then 
that's uh, that would be an improper use of that word. Um, it, legalism is saying that um, abiding by the law is what gives us justification. Rather, normal churches should say that in our sanctification, after we have been justified and we are living the Christian life, we should continue to uphold the law and we should not do away with the law. Like it said earlier in Romans, um, in Romans, I want to say, was that at Romans 2? Oh no, where is the, where is this question that Paul poses in Romans 2? Or it might be Romans 3. I can't remember it off the top of my head. Essentially, it is saying that, um, so now what do we do away with the law? By no means. Rather, we uphold the law as opposed to do away with it. But we don't uphold it in the way of saying that we point to that and say this is where our justification comes from. Whereas someone who is a legalist might say, but we point to that and say, I am upholding the law not because it saves me, but because I am saved. If, uh... Uh, so we do not use it as our justification, but rather as um, a way to delight in the Lord and to praise the Lord in our actions and to follow the example that Christ gave. Uh, what about like churches that are like saying, uh, like holding true to like Old Testament laws where it's like wear no, uh, is it yarn? No, it's not yarn. Like no, uh, or don't like, like mix no materials wine. or don't uh, eat fish and like pork and that type of stuff. Yeah, like stuff like that. So that is um kind of an entirely different thing in a sense. I I'm not sure those. I guess you could call legalistic. I haven't necessarily grouped those in my mind when it comes to legalism, but what they're doing is they're. Uh, they're taking the ceremonial law of Judaism or law that is meant to specifically keep Israel separate from other nations and they're applying it to us today. But I think as you go later into the Bible and you see that Paul talks about how the food doesn't make you unclean anymore. Rather, it's, um, it's what you do with your body. It's not how you eat food or, or essentially that's a very bad paraphrase because i can't remember the exact verse off the top of my head but um paul does talk about later um about how dietary restrictions are not like a thing anymore or these things were just used to set israel apart uh and separate them from you know the canaanites and all these other pagan nations like with tattoos and stuff like that i have a tattoo but um what about the verses in, uh, uh, what is it? Is it in Exodus? What about the verses in the Old Testament that say tattoos bad, don't get them? Well, those are meant for a very specific purpose and a very specific reason. That reason being that the nations around Israel use tattoos as idol worship and use tattoos to uh, essentially say that spirits were watching over them uh, and... Uh, giving them power and that uh they had trust in those spirits rather than a trust in the lord um i would have to get the particular verses because i cannot remember them off the top of my head when it comes to like the dietary restrictions and stuff like that 
but um, I don't think that this is a... I don't think you could use this passage to necessarily oppose or condemn them. I think that there's a lot better passages for for that type of situation to go to. Those are like laws that were made by man, right? So their purpose must uh, most of the time is legalism. So they weren't really made by man. They're, and they're still in the Bible. They're still in Scripture, and they're still written by God. It's just that, you know, different laws have different purposes. Not every single law has to have the same purpose. The moral commands that God gives, the moral law that God gives, is a law that is uh, overarching onto everyone because it is about morality, is about uh, deviating from the nature of God. But then you have laws where you're, you look at it, and it is solely to set Israel apart from other nations. It is solely to make them distinct and to make them different. Now, we are not Israel living around these pagan nations anymore. And when it comes to those ceremonial laws that are solely meant to make them distinct, as well as the judicial laws, yeah, they're, uh, they're almost like cultural laws. There are still laws that come from God to make them distinct, but their purpose is now essentially fulfilled. Their, their purpose is now uh, not applicable. Uh, you know, most most of the passages in the Bible, I'd say you could apply them to us today. I, I would say those are very particular to that scenario, but you could also probably pull some applications out of them as well. But I think direct application of saying we no longer can eat pork or something like that, I don't think that that is the purpose of those laws in, in this modern day, especially with what Paul argues later i i want to say it's in galatians um i'd have to get the specific verse though all right any other any other questions before prayer time more people are typing i see thanks yeah, no problem. And I'll I'll be sure to post the verses in Bible study chat after this, whenever I grab them. Wait, so we abandon the law because it binds us to sin? No, we don't abandon the law. So we the law we don't use the law for justification. So we don't use the law and say, I am righteous because look at the law, look at the law compared to me. The law is what brings wrath because the law is show, is what shows us just how sinful we are. We have all failed to uphold the law at some point. We have all consistently failed to uphold the law. So it is not what we use to justify us, but is also not sinful because it's the law that is coming from the Lord. But um, instead, we use the law in our Christian life to make us reflect more like Christ. We use these laws of God, like don't don't steal, don't have idols, don't uh, don't be disrespectful to your mothers or fathers. Um, yeah, the the law is what yeah it it would lead us to Christ and make us realize we need salvation. But now in our new life that we've been given, we are now. 
our desire should be to follow the law, not because it is what saves us, but it's because what is righteous. And us as believers now should have a desire to be righteous. Okay. Any other questions? No? Okay. Let me um let me pray for us and then we we can we can be done. Um Lord, I thank you for this time that we're able to just read to see uh, just how perfect and holy you are and just how how wonderful your plan is for salvation from Abraham to us, Lord, that, that you justify us by faith through grace, God, and that we rest on your grace and mercy every day, Lord. Um, I just pray that we'll be able to go throughout our weeks reading the word and praying and praising your name and that tonight that uh, that, that idea would not leave us lord and that we we will not forget the reasons to praise your name lord your perfect and holy name and that we will be in constant remembrance of the salvation that we've been given lord and that we will just constantly strive to glorify you and to love you lord i just pray for all these things in your wonderful name.